Amen. Glad you came back. Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. Preaching about uh, lessons from the north. Lessons from up north. <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Amen. Joshua chapter 11, when you find your spot, uh, why don't you stand, we'll read some more of the chapter here tonight. All right, let's begin reading here at verse number 10. The Bible says, And Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword, for Hazor before time was the head of all those nations. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them, and there was not any left to breathe, and he burnt Hazor with fire. Now, we'll keep reading here, but what he did is he made an example. That was the head of the confederacy, so Joshua, after he hit that thing and it splits three ways, he does an about-face, goes back to the place that started all that trouble and uh, raised all that confederacy, and he just wipes it out and makes a, a, an example to everyone that's hiding in the bushes, and he demoralizes that entire army. So uh, if you're a military strategist, that's, a, that's pretty good stuff he just did right there. Now look at verse 12, and all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword. And he utterly destroyed them as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. But as for the cities that stood still in their strength, just saying that they didn't come round to the, the confederacy party there, Israel burned none of them save Hazor only, that did Joshua burn. And all the spoil of these cities and all the cattle the children of Israel took for a prey unto themselves, but every man they smote with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, neither left they any to breathe. As the Lord commanded Moses' servant, so did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land the hills and all that south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountain of Israel and the valley of the same, even from, uh, from the Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir, even unto Baal Gad and the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon. And all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel Save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes, and the land rested 
from war. And that's the completion of the northern campaign here. Uh, Brother Brian, why don't you ask the Lord's help in the preaching tonight? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, as we begin this morning, uh, we covered two lessons. We called this lessons from up north. And in this chapter, I believe there are four predominant lessons that you and I as a Christian can learn and it comes to it comes to warfare it comes to fighting the fight fighting the good fight of faith and it comes to battle and the first one we looked at in verses 1 through 6 or right around verse 7 is the farther you and I go in the Christian life the less divine intervention we receive and it boils down to fighting it boils down to fighting I think you understand that. We won't repreach that, but just the farther you go in the Christian life, the less divine intervention you get. And we, of course, gave the examples of Jericho and the examples of Ai and the examples of the southern campaign uh, where the Lord took stones out of heaven, uh, so forth and so on, and the sun stood still. But the further you go on in your Christian life and the further you go on in your battle against your flesh, against the world, and against the devil, the Lord is going to expect you to do more of the fighting. And unfortunately, we said this morning, a lot of Christians would rather sit around and wait for a miracle. <laughs> you know, some Christians, they go out to their mailbox every day praying for a miracle. <laughs> I may have been guilty of that a time or two. Amen? But you know what? The further you go on in your Christian life, you just have to learn to fight. You have to go off the promises that God gives you. And Joshua has given the promise of victory I believe it's around uh, verse number 6 there, chapter 11. And what he does is he takes those promises, he claims those promises by faith. Now, Joshua, he's not a charismatic, he's not the name it and claim it group, amen. But he takes those promises by faith, and he goes out there and he fights. And matter of fact, he smacks that army head on so strong that they split in three directions. And then you get to verse 10, and he's got everybody on the run in such a tither that he's able to turn back and to deal with that city of Hazor the way he should. And so he goes back to Hazor and teaches them a lesson. Amen? You don't mess with Jehovah God. And uh, so that was the first lesson. The second lesson we preached on this morning, the future of the Christian life in verse 18, is that it is continuous fighting. Very much in and of part of the same of the first lesson, but the lesson you and I have to learn is if you're in the fight, it's going to be the fight until the last trumpet is sounded. Amen? I know you and I, we sing about it. Uh, there's some great songs out there, the unclouded day, and I'll fly away, O glory, and uh, there's a brighter day coming. Amen, it is, but it ain't while we're down here. So we have to get that mindset to be a good soldier. We have to endure the hardness that comes our way. And in verse 18, you see that Joshua made war a long time. I got to thinking while I was trying to prepare for this message and thinking about maybe some of the battles we'd fought in the past, uh, maybe in our family and in our church. And you know what? Sometimes they're so disheartening. Sometimes they're so depressing. Sometimes they're so discouraging. But you know what? It's the right thing. If you're fighting the battle and you know what? It gets all crazy. And sometimes when you're in the battle, things seem to get overrun. You can't make sense of it, can you? But that is the Christian life. That's what embodies the Christian life. It involves continuous fighting. Now notice with me here, here's the third lesson here tonight. The third lesson, if you look 
beginning at verse 21. I'm going to give you this one, lesson number three. The toughest battles are at the end. The toughest battles are towards the end of the Christian life. And the last battle is the hardest. <laughs> now, I know that's not encouraging because you and I live in a crazy uh, world that is, as my son would say, on crack. And this world has told you and me that it's going to get better, right? And uh, even in Christianity, we, saw, we sing the song, The Best is Yet to Come, forgetting when we sing the song, it's about when we get out of here. There's a brighter day coming. Yes, but it's not while we're down here. And I know it sounds like we're running the same lessons, but they are unique, and they are distinct, and they do come from the northern campaign. See, what happens here in verse number 21 Bible says, and at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains. So you all know what the Anakims are, right? Them are giants. Them are biggins. And isn't it interesting that they come at the end? <laughs> isn't that something? I mean, well, I, I don't know about you. If you had such a great uh, military career, wouldn't you like the last handful of battles in your life just to be like duck soup? I mean, I would, Right? I mean, you look at people's careers, uh, uh, some people, uh, they're executives or CEOs or CFOs or EIEIOs or whatever you want to call the things there, amen. And, you know, they, they announce their retirement. I'm going to retire next year. And what do they do? Well, they golf for an entire year is what they do. And they take conference call from the jacuzzi or the private jet. That's not the Christian life. The toughest battles in the Christian life are always towards the end of your Christian life. Now that ought to tell you something. It's not going to get better. It's not going to get easier. He said, but I'm tired of it. Amen, me too. But the toughest battles come at the end. And you see here towards the end of the northern campaign, the giants show up. Not the New York giants, <laughs> but you never know, right? He says, but notice this. They show up. And these are the giants that scared the pants off those ten spies back in Numbers chapter 13, right? Uh, Twelve spies went out, ten were bad and two were good, and you know the name of the two and you don't know the name of the ten. History has a way of flushing people who don't do right. At any rate, the giants show up, and uh, not only do they show up at the end of the northern campaign, but notice where they show up. Where do they show up? They show up in the mountains. Them bunch of stinking sissies. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33, those Hamitic giants, they are in the walled cities, they are in the land, and as soon as everything hits, those giants head for the hills. I'm telling you what, if you are such a supernatural man of renown, like Genesis 6 says those men were, why weren't they there? Because I tell you what, they're a bunch of cowards. But nonetheless, they have more strength than most. And those Hamitic giants, those Hamitic giants, they run for the hills. And they run for the mountains is what they do. And so, uh, so forth. And you say, what is that picture? Well, in the Christian life, uh, you know, Moses was a man who climbed the mountain, wasn't he? He went up to that mountain seven different times. And what that is, a type and picture of you doing the best you can and the power that you have and the power of the Holy Spirit to draw close to Jesus Christ. We call it climbing the mountain. 
So notice this, when you try to climb the mountain with God, you know what it's going to be there, right? Giants. And that's why a lot of people don't uh, climb too many mountains with the Lord because some giant will get a hold of them and kick them back down. So we see the giants show up at the end, and they show up in the mountains. And uh, you, ever stop and think about, uh, you ever stop and think about Daniel? I think some of Daniel's hardest battles he faced in the book of Daniel himself was towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry. Sure, he was of the exiled tribe. No doubt he come, his family was ripped apart and lost loved ones and lost moms and dads and all that. But you know, the hardest, uh, hardest battle Daniel faced was when he let that king bow down to him. And so that's in chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Meshach, Yershach, and the bungalow in chapter 4. You know how that goes in 5. And guess what? In 6, towards the end of Daniel's ministry, here we go. He has to go into lion's den. You got to remember the hardest battles are saved for the end. The hardest battles are saved. Take your Bible go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now David, he was a mighty warrior. He loved God. And uh, David uh, was a man after God's own heart. We're preaching about him the best we can on Wednesday nights. But notice here in 2 Samuel chapter 21, David's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry. And we know David started off in the Valley of Elah fighting Goliath, but that was a supernatural deal, wasn't it? Uh, I'm not saying that uh, David couldn't have taken a, the rightly positioned stone and uh, knocked him out, but I believe the Lord Jehovah God is behind that rock when that thing come out of that sling, probably about a million miles an hour, and about busted that big old giant's head wide open there. But notice here at the end of David's life, at the end of David's ministry, uh, the hardest battles occur. Second Samuel 21, look at verse 15. The Bible says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down, he probably about 70, and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. Now listen, that's the first time you have ever heard about David waxing faint in battle. You've never heard he's never lost a battle. He's never lost a fight. Uh, you hear about him killing Goliath. You hear about bending the bow of steel with his hands. Amen. And here, at the end of David's life, you hear about him waxing faint. I notice this thing in verse 16. In Ishbibinab, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, uh, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. So I, I see in my mind's eye, I see that giant's got David pinned right to the ground. He's beat the fire out of him. He's got a new sword that could, could even have stuck him or something. And David's about ready to meet his maker. <laughs> you say, what are you saying? The hardest battles are saved for the end. I notice this in verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt no more go with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. That was the very last battle that David ever fought. Now here's the thing you got to take into consideration. David was a mighty man, and God loved him, and he loved God. He never lost a battle, but he didn't finish this one, <laughs> even though he was present when it was over. He wasn't personally victorious. The Lord had to use the men that God had placed around David to kill that sucker. You see that? And I'm just telling you the hardest battles that you're going to face are those giants that are up in the mountains. You're going to face it towards the end of your Christian life, towards the end. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And, of course, the hardest one 
is the last. And you see here, the hardest giant that David faced, he doesn't kill. Someone else has got to kill that thing. And uh, that's something you and I need to remember. And because the, the toughest battles are toward the end of that thing, you know what you can't do as a Christian? You can't brag about how you think you're going to turn out. This is reality. This is what you and I are bad about. You can't brag about what you think you think you're going to do in a particular situation. I don't care where you're at. I, I'll just say it like this. If you haven't raised kids, you better, not, you better be careful about those who have. <laughs> Amen? You can't brag about how you're going to turn out. You can't brag about how you're going to turn out in a certain situation. You can't brag about what you think you're going, what you think you might do in a certain situation. You know, there's examples of uh, Christians who did that in the Bible, like Peter, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, Peter says, "Though all men forsake thee, I won't. Though all men be offended, I won't." Bible said in Mark chapter 14 that about that thing, he spoke the more vehemently about it. And you know what he does, right? He turns right around, does exactly what the Lord said he's going to do. And he denies him. You can't brag about how that thing's going to turn out. You know, the thing that comes to my mind is that uh, the king of Syria. Take your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 20. Listen, the hardest battles come at the end. They come at the end. They don't come at the beginning. You see, at the beginning of your Christian life, you're battling your flesh. Amen? You're battling your habits. You're battling your hobbies. But towards the end of your Christian life, you're battling things like pride. You're battling things like station. You're battling things like, uh, you know, how you think about other people. Bitterness. First uh, Samuel chapter, Second uh, Samuel, what is that? Thank you, First Kings 20. Now here you got the king of Syria, and he's uh, up against Ahab. And this could be about the only good thing Ahab ever said. Everything else it was stupid. Uh, amen. First Kings chapter 20 and verse 10. It is. I mean, you, you read about Ahab. He, uh, if Ahab had an original idea, his wife gave it to him. Amen. <laughs> I mean, he was, a, he was a henpecked king, and he was a wicked man. That Bible says that his wife is the one that stirred him up. That's why, men, you better get a good one. <laughs> Amen. You better get a good one, because if you get a bad one, well, I hope you like the garage. Amen. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 10, the Bible says, And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handle for all the people that follow me. <laughs> and here's what, uh, here's what Ahab says in the king of, verse 11, And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. <laughs> the game hasn't even started, and the king of Syria is bragging about how it's going to end. Uh, in the car, court, we call that trash talk. Trash talk don't work in the Christian life. You can't brag about where you think you're going to be. Uh, you could have a shout on your breath and have all your bills paid and live in uh, your glory to God and shouting hallelujah and all that stuff or else just not in any trouble right now. And you get to bragging about things and in about a year, you'd be upside down. You'd be in a real mess. So you can't brag about how much you're going to win the game by when you haven't even put your uniform on. Some Christians haven't even put the uniform on. I'm not saying this to be ambiguous, and I'm not saying that's the case in this uh, sanctuary tonight, but ask the Lord, have I even put the uniform on? Uh, we say it like this in America, don't count your chickens before they hatch. 
That's, what, that's the old slogan that came my way as a kid. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with claiming the victory ahead of time. Amen? Uh, we're not talking about the name it and claim it stuff, but there's nothing wrong with taking the promises of God that you have in your lap right there and claiming the victory. Uh, and that's, uh, it has to be by faith. You have to claim that victory by faith, and uh, the, what you claim in faith can never be uh, according to your abilities or your aspirations. See what I mean? And that's what Joshua and Caleb did in Numbers 13 and 14. Remember they came back and they said, hey, we can do it. If God be uh, before us, I'm paraphrasing it now, we can overcome them and they'll be, uh, they won't have any strength and we can do it. And everyone else is just singing the blues and complaining because they didn't have any cable TV. But uh, that's what Joshua and Caleb did in Numbers 13 and 14 and the other 10 spies are just bemoaning the fact that they looked like grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants. But Caleb said, uh, look at Numbers chapter 13 real quick here. I know you know this, but you've got to remember the hardest battles come at the end. The hardest battles come at the end. Numbers chapter 13, if you see verse 30 there, this is what Caleb says. The Bible says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. <laughs> All right, go over to uh, Numbers 14. Next chapter over. This is why he said what he said. He wasn't claiming it because he thought his abilities and aspirations could get the job done. Uh, he's claiming this thing because he's got the promise of God on his side. First four, uh, chapter 14, verse 8. Bible says, If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which full of milk and honey. Verse 9, Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So here's the thing. Now go back to Joshua 14.10. Put it all together. Put everything together. I mean, we come through the book of Exodus. We come through the book of Numbers. We're into the book of Joshua now. It's been a long journey. It's literally been three years of going through these books. But you can see where we're heading. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, now look at verse uh, number 10. Joshua 14, 10. This is Caleb talking. He's getting his inheritance. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these, how many? Forty and five years. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Verse 11. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. I was read uh, the Journal of John Wesley this last week. I read it again, a great read. And uh, John Wesley at 82, said, uh, he said in his journal, I am as strong as I am in my 80, uh, 2 and 80 as I was at 5 and 20. He says, and I attribute to <laughs> He says, I attribute this to the Lord God Almighty having favor upon me, number one. Number two, going to bed every day at 9 o'clock. Uh, number three, getting up every morning at 4 a.m. and preaching abruptly at 5 a.m. and traveling 4,500 miles a year by horseback. <laughs> but ain't that something? That makes sense. And I tell you what, God was all over John Wesley. God was on him like a fan. Nobody preached to the crowds that John Wesley preached to in America or England. 
He'd preach to 10,000 at a time. That's, that's not even heard about. You don't even hear of that. 10,000 at a time every single day of the week. Well, you got to claim it by faith. So after 45 years, 45 years, I want you to remember that number, 45 years. Joshua and Caleb finally take the ground. They both claim by faith back in Numbers 13, 14 uh, because God promised it. So here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. We know the strongest battles, the hardest battles, the giants and the mountaintops where you're trying to draw close to Jesus Christ, they come at the end. All right, but here's a lesson. If the Lord has called you to do something for him, you know what he's going to do? This is what you're going to do. Just like in Numbers chapter 13, if God's called you to do something, he's going to let you see the fruit of the land. You see it? He's going to let you go on a little trip. He's called you to do something, and he's going to let you see some fruit. But at the same time, you know what he's also going to let you see? He's going to let you see the giants. <laughs> God called you to do something. He's going to let you see the fruit. And they cut off that big cluster of grapes there, and they put it between a staff, and two people were halt. That's a big old cluster. I mean, we have bought a lot of grapes in our day, but never a cluster that required more than one person. <laughs> Amen? I mean, you couldn't even get that cluster in your fridge. I mean, they'd have to be that big around. They'd have to be the size of um, melons. You say, what are you saying? Well, if God's called you to do something, you know what he'll do early on, early on. Uh, th this, this turned the light bulb on for your preacher while studying this. He's going to let you see the fruit. When we first came here in 14 and 15, let me tell you what, God started doing things. He started doing things. And I'll tell you what, the whole ghost of God started bouncing around in here and started to open this place up. And liberty began to open up uh, to preach and so forth and so on. We began to see souls saved. We began to see the direction of the ministry turn in the right direction. Yes, there's always going to be opposition. And we'll talk about that in just a second here. But early on in 2014 and 2015, God began to give us a little bit, a handful of the grapes of Eshkol when we first came here. But at the same token, he's going to let you see the giants and he's going to let you see the obstacles. You say, why does he do that? He wants to see if you quit. That's why I let you see it. You see what I mean? He'll let you see some of the fruit, and then he'll let you see the obstacles. He'll let you see everything you have to go through and all the disappointments and the heartaches and the trials and the tribulations, and he's just going to let you see that because he wants to know if you're going to quit. Now, you know what the difference between all those that fell in the wilderness and Joshua and Caleb was? Five years. That's it. Five years. If you quit, if you give up, you'll spend your time wandering aimlessly in your Christian life like the children of Israel did for 40 years. And here's the thing. You know it and I know it. This country is filled with 40-year Christians. They're filled with 40-year Christians. They're saved. They love the Lord, or they did at one time, and they're just wandering aimlessly. You say, well, what happened? I don't know. They had some hassle with the pastor. Some business meeting went wrong. Some Christian got them all worked up. Some brother got them upset. Some sister got them upset. Someone stole somebody's pie pot or pie pan or whatever the fire that is. And off they go and they're ticked and they get miffed and they're gone. And Christians get miffed and quit all the time. So here's the thing. If the Lord calls you to do something, it can take a long time for the promise to be fulfilled. 
Now, this means something to me. It really does. I mean, I've got skin equity here. I've got sweat equity here. And I know you do too, amen? And God's called you to come here and be a part of this work. He's going to let you see some fruit. And he's going to let you see some giants too. And he wants to know, are you going to stick with it? Are you going to keep with it? Or are you going to quit? Are you going to quit when it's not a good time to come? Are you going to quit when things get bumpy? Are you going to remember how sweet the juice was from them grapes and say, I'm going back. I know it's been a bumpy road lately. Man, them grapes sure were good. Joshua and Caleb took them 45 years. I think of William Carey and Adoniram Judson took their entire life before they saw their, their entire ministry before they saw their first convert. But let me tell you what, when God finally blessed that thing, <laughs> man, was it something. The key is to not quit. You know what the key is, Christian? You got to remember, you got to keep after it until the Lord blesses it. You got to keep after it until the Lord blesses it. Because a lot of times you can't see the blessing of God. Remember, the divine, the divine intervention is less and less and less when it comes to fighting your flesh and fighting sin and fighting this world and fighting the devil. And you got to keep after the things that God's called you to do until you can definitely tell the Lord's blessed you. The key is to keep it until the Lord, keep at it until the Lord blesses you. Now here's the last one, lesson number four. All right, not only do the giants come, uh, I mean the hardest battles are fought in the end of your Christian life, not the beginning, not only uh, uh, are the, the, the last battle probably going to be the hardest, just like David, but here's number four, each generation has to learn how to fight. Each generation has to learn how to fight. And you see, these are lessons from the northern campaign. Each generation has to learn how to fight. Look at uh, Joshua chapter 11. We'll read the last couple verses again. And I'll give you just some quick groundwork before we build our points here. Joshua chapter 11, verse 22. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod the remains. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by the tribes, and the land rested from war. So what you have is you have some exceptions here. You have some exceptions. And uh, the Bible is absolutely true. But what you have is you have, uh, you have some exceptions. And first of all, the exceptions to the giants, you see, they're not all dead, are they? In verse 22, the exceptions is now the giants are just located where? In enemy territory, where they belong. You see, now the giants are just in Philistine country. That's Gaza, that's Gath, that's Ashdod. That's three of their five main cities. Notice the exception is the giants are not all gone. They're just in enemy territory. Now notice here in verse 23, the exceptions, it says Joshua took the whole land. He did. He did. He took the whole land. But the exceptions were that the Lord had left some nations unconquered. And uh, the exceptions in Joshua chapter 13. Just look over to Joshua 13. Bible says in Joshua 13 verse 1, Now Joshua is old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. Well, I guess if the Lord said it, I guess you're old. <laughs> Amen. And there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remaineth, all the borders of the Philistines and all Jeshuri, from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, 
five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites and the Ashtot, that's where all your giants are at, the Eshkelites, the Gittites and the Ekronites, also the Avites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mir, Mir, that word right there, that is beside the Sidonians, unto Aphek, to the borders of the Amorites. I know this is boring, but you got to get it. In the land of the, Gib, the Giblites, <laughs> it might feel like giblets or something, and all Lebanon toward the sun rising from Baal Gad under Mount Hermon and entering into Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon unto Mizra, both Maim, and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out uh, from before the children of Israel, only divide thou it by lot unto, unto the Israelites for an inheritance I have commanded thee. Are you seeing the picture yet? Joshua is a credit with taking the whole land, but the Lord said, there are some things I'm going to not have you do. I'll take your Bible, go real quick to the book of Judges. Judges chapter number two, three, the next book over. Joshua is accredited with uh, conquering the entire land because God gave him credit for it, but there were some places that were not conquered yet because God said, you're not going to do it, and here I want to show you why. Joshua chapter three, this has always been a little bit confusing to me as I read my Bible through here thinking if he conquered the whole land, why are these buzzards showing up? Amen? I never understood it. Now look at here, Judges chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now these are the nations which the Lord left. You see it? The Lord left something there, didn't he? To prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwell on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon, and the entering of Hamath. They were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of of Moses. Is it sinking in at all yet? Each generation has to learn how to fight. Each generation has to learn how to fight their own battles. If you want to know why, and I know this isn't very kind, so you'll just have to politely and kindly get over it. If you want to know why this generation is practically worthless when it comes to character, it is because they've had everything given to them on a silver platter. My grandparents' generation is a generation that come up through the Great Depression. They had to fight for a job. Uh, they had to fight for food. And they honestly, in the wars they fought, they had to fight for their life. But when it comes to fighting against sin in the flesh, you know what? When it comes to fighting against the, uh, the world, the sin, the, the sin, your sin, the flesh, and the devil, it doesn't matter what the pilgrims did. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what, uh, it doesn't matter what David Brainerd did. It doesn't matter what Charles Finney did. It doesn't matter what Billy Sunday did. It doesn't matter what Mordecai Ham did. It doesn't matter what Billy Graham did. It doesn't matter what Lester Roloff did. What matters is, is how you're going to learn how to fight. And you have to, you have to realize that each generation come up has got to learn to fight their own battles. We can sit up here and I have some mentors and I have some heroes and they fought some awesome battles but that ain't going to get it done for me. And that ain't going to get it done for you. It's just like David hitting that battlefield. Remember, Saul's like, here, here, buddy, take my armor, you know. 
And here, I could just see the picture. You can see it. Saul's a seven-foot-one Jew, and, and here's David. Clunk, 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 clunk. And David's like, yeah, it ain't going to work. And you know, you can't wear someone else's armor. you got to get your own. you got to learn how to fight your own battles. You can get excited because Mama and Papa fought a battle and won, and Mama and Papa lived for God. And evangelist so-and-so preached a real barn burner 50 years ago. And I remember when it got so thick in the church house you could cut it with a knife, but that ain't going to help you fight the battle. You gotta learn to fight it on your own, and each generation has to learn how to war yourself. Well, not only that, he left the nations to prove them. He left the nations to teach them more. I want you to see this back in Joshua eleven fifteen. Finally, why God left some of them heathen around? <laughs> you know why he did it? He did it just to see if the next generation would follow him, like Joshua did. He left those nations, he left those heathens, he left those troubles, you know those troubles that you're complaining about? He left them there to see if you would follow Jesus Christ like Joshua did, if you'll give me the liberty to say it like that. He left them there, look at verse 15, Joshua chapter 11, verse number 15. We're going to go back to Judges just once more or twice. Joshua chapter 11, verse 15 and the Lord commanded Moses' servant. So did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. You see, you see the transfer of authority? You see the chain of command. The Lord instructed Moses, and Moses did it. Moses instructed Joshua, and Joshua clicked his heels, and he got it done. Amen? You see, that's a blessing. Joshua knew how to follow, and because he knew how to follow, God let him lead. And the reason God, God left some of the heathen was to see if that next generation would follow him like Joshua did. Uh, notice this here. We'll go to jo- uh, Judges chapter 2. That Bible says, we just come uh, through there in verse 15, that he left nothing undone. You know, when I get to glory, that's what I want said. Uh, it's, it's definitely not going to be what a great, great job I did, but maybe the Lord can say, well, you didn't leave anything undone. We're not going to talk about how you did it, but you left nothing undone. That'd be all right. Judges chapter 2. Now look at verse 7. Here it is. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Look at verse 10. That's what happens after Joshua's generation dies out. Look out. Verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Listen to me, listen to me. You are part of another generation. I know you think you're in today's generation, but you are a part of the blood-stained banner generation that still believes in the old-time religion. And what you get frustrated about in this community is there's other people claiming to be saved, claiming to believe the King James Bible, and they won't get with it, and they won't fight the battle, and that's because they're part of this generation that don't know anything about Joshua.
So God left those heathen people around to get that generation of Israelites to follow him. But you worry, God will always have a man. He'll always have a man. Look at Judges chapter 2, verse 21 and 23. He says, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Here it is, 222. <laughs> that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. And each generation of Christian is going to have to have its own battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Listen, listen. Your parents are not fighting the same battles that you're fighting, if I could say it like that. What my parents went through was not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the rest of that baloney. Amen? They didn't have to, they had to learn to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil on their own different terms. And you have to fight it on your own terms with the Lord. You have to learn to fight on your own. You can't just say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get up like Martin Luther at 4 a.m. every morning and I'll pray for four hours. No, you won't. You get 25 notifications <laughs> that if you're sleeping, you wouldn't answer anyways. You got to learn to fight on your own. Each generation of Christians is going to have to have its own battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. They can't just sit back and rely on the victories of the previous generations. I'm telling you, every generation's got to learn to fight. And that's why you get scared. That's why you get worried. Because you look around and you got sense God gave a jackrabbit and you go, man, this generation, they don't know how to fight. That's why this present bunch of Laodicean Christians are doing what they're doing. They've given up the fight to get along with the world. And except for a few isolated groups here and there, nearly the whole of American Christianity has fallen smack dab into apostasy. Amen? They have. They surely have. They need to learn war and hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. Go back to Judges chapter 3 verse 2 and verse 4 and we'll close. Judges chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. Listen, we're soldiers. We've been commanded to fight, but can I say it like this? It's not just good enough for to get up and preach about you got to fight. you got to learn to fight. You say, how am I going to do that? You're going to have to get along with the Lord in this book, and he will teach you how to fight. What did David say? Thou teachest my fingers to fight. You think he did that going to the temple? He was out there in the back 40 with the sheep. And he was worshiping God and staying in communion. And thinking right. And being right. And doing right. And routine duty. And the Lord taught him to fight. He didn't have to have some seminar called, All right, Giant Training 101. Everybody register. Free luncheon, $85. He just in fellowship with God. He kept his heart clean. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was where he was supposed to be at the right time. And God said, that's my man. And out there, all of a sudden, the Lord says, you know what? Uh, down the road, David, I got a giant I want you to kill. Uh, so here's, here's just a couple practice runs. See that bear over there? 
Oh, my soul, I ain't never seen a bear. I'm scared. I bet you the first time he saw a bear, I bet you turn and run. So, oh, no, I bet you did. Oh, stop it. He's human just like you and me. I bet you the first time he, he saw that bear, uh, if, if he had to go to the bathroom, he didn't when it was over. You know what I mean? Human being. And I bet you, uh, I bet you he said, oh, God, what am I going to do? He said, I'm glad you asked. You're going to go over there and you're going to grab him by the beard and you're going to whoop him. He's like, I'm going to do what? And after he killed that bear or lion, whichever was first, I bet you the Lord gave him some time and probably had a couple claw marks on him. I bet you David had some, I bet you he had some scars, amen? You know what I mean? You're out there doing wood and you're out there doing chores and get blisters and after a while, if you're a man, you're like, yeah, it looks pretty good, don't it? Battle scars. I bet you David had a few. And then after a while, then along comes that uh, along comes that line. If that line's in the second one, and I bet you old David's going, "Oh, let me get him, Lord. Let me get him." <laughs> it's like easy, boy. <laughs> Turns him loose. I bet you charge the next one, wouldn't you? If God let you do something like that, wouldn't you charge the next one? Why well, I think Peter was running out in the water in John chapter twenty-one. He walked on it once already, and David had to learn. War and he gets over there in the book of Psalms. He's killed giants. He's killed many men for the cause of Christ. He says, I'll teach us my fingers to fight. Each generation is going to have to learn how to fight. You can't rely on the victories of the past. You can't lie on the previous generation. And I hate to say it, while this generation we can try to go through and dig a deep furrow so you can come behind and plant and reap a harvest, it's got to be between you and the Lord. You got to learn how to fight. You got to get along with the Lord. You got to keep feathering that relationship that you have with the Savior. So, as chapter 11 closes, these are the four lessons that emerge from up north. See, it's a blessing to live up north. Amen. Number one, the further you go in the Christian life, the less divine intervention you get. And it boils down to just fighting. Now, that should encourage you, even though at first it will discourage you. <laughs> Number two, the future of the Christian life involves continuous fighting and warfare. Number three, the toughest battles are the one toward the end, and the last battle is the hardest. And number four, each generation has to learn how to fight. You can't live off the last generation's victories. You say, what am I going to do with all this? Well, you're going to have to internalize it. Amen. You're going to have to think about it. And I say what we do right now is let's just take this all to the Lord, real quick time of prayer, and just seek his face for the battle plans that he has for you and I this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening. We thank you, Lord, for this little thing called an evening service. Now, to some people this might not be much, but, Lord, I believe you've given us something tonight, something we can sink our teeth into. And something we can walk around in uh, our spiritual shoes with this week. Father, would you bless your people? Father, we come before you, we admit, Lord, that without you, uh, we're absolutely nothing. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so, Father, we could see uh, with the right spiritual vision. Lord, teach us to fight. Lord, teach us to fight the good fight. Lord, we beg that you would teach us uh, like you taught David. And how you taught his fingers to fight. Father, would you teach our fingers, Lord, to move across those blessed pages. And Father, we sure love you. We long for your appearing. We long for you to come back. And Father, we know that the battles that are in front of us this week are real. And Father, I pray they wouldn't take us off guard. Might we anticipate 
the, the disappointments. Might we anticipate the affliction. And Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be victorious in our fighting this week. Help us, Lord. Uh, we depend totally upon you to get anything done. Father, we sure love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You all have a great week. Lord willing, the snow don't rise. We'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>